Welcome, podcast listeners. Today, we have a fantastic bonus episode for you. We recently published our new book, The Best Investment Writing, Volume 2. The first one was a hit, with Money Week concluding that it should be on every investor's bookshelf. But we made the second volume even better. We expanded it to include 41 hand-selected investment articles written by some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers in the world. We are really proud of it. We also thought it'd be fun to bring on some of the authors and have them read their specific chapter from the book. So that's what you're getting in today's special bonus episode. If you're interested in picking up a copy of The Best Investment Writing Volume 2, head on over to Amazon or our publisher's website, which is Harriman House. Also, know that your purchase will be benefiting charities as all the writer proceeds to go to the charity of the specific author's choosing. So enough from me. Let's get to our guest author takeover with this special bonus episode. Hi, this is Rick Friedman. I'm a portfolio strategist on the asset allocation team at GMO. GMO is a global private investment management firm founded in 1977, which manages approximately $70 billion for endowments, foundations, public and private pension plans, family offices, and wealth managers. To learn more about our firm and to access some of our research, including our seven-year asset class forecasts and quarterly letters, you can find us at gmo.com. On behalf of my co-author, Anna Cherkina, the head of our asset allocation quantitative research team, I'm going to read the chapter entitled Fang Shmang, Don't Blame the Overvaluation of the S&P Solely on Information Technology, from The Best Investment Writing, Volume 2. A small group of technology stocks have recently delivered stellar returns. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet, or Google, the so-called FANG stocks, are up 36% on average from January to September of 2017. This superlative performance in such a narrow group of large-cap names has led many to raise questions about the current valuation of the S&P 500, its sector composition, and comparisons to other markets. These questions have included... Do the old rules apply? The IT sector, which is and deserves to trade at a higher multiple, is a larger part of the market today. So comparing today's price multiples to history just doesn't make sense, right? Second, how can the market be expensive if no sector is trading at extreme valuations relative to its own history as measured by PE10 multiples? Third, Isn't the valuation gap of the U.S. versus non-U.S. markets justified by the higher weight in IT in the U.S.? We know that the higher weight in the relatively expensive IT sector is driving some of the expensiveness of the S&P 500, but this does not fully explain the bulk of its high absolute and relative valuation level. In this short note, we'll try to address some of these questions asked above. Do the old rules apply to a new S&P 500? The sector composition of the S&P 500 has changed meaningfully over the last four decades. See Exhibit 1. As we entered the roaring 1980s, the S&P 500 was dominated by lower price multiple cyclical companies. The energy, materials, and industrial sectors accounted for 45% of the S&P, while IT and healthcare made up 15% of the index. IT and healthcare's weight has expanded to 38% today, while the lower multiple cohort has declined to under 20%. 
But that shift to higher multiple sectors explains only a portion of today's overvaluation, as Exhibit 2 suggests. The chart plots the PE10, or Schiller PE, of the S&P 500 based on GMO's bottom-up calculation. For those without the display in front of them at the moment, you would see basically a line that goes back starting in 1969, troughs in the late 70s, early 80s at under 10 times, and peaks at over 45 times at the top of the telecom and internet bubble, obviously comes back down in in 2008, 2009, and stands right about 27.3 at the end of last year. The chart also shows the long-term median PE10 of the market, essentially the fair value anchor of the S&P 500. Today at 27.3, the PE10 of the S&P is quite elevated, trading 46% above its long-term median, just under 19 times, dating back to 1970. The static fair value measure, however, doesn't account for the concern that we've been hearing so much about recently, and that is that changing sector composition of the market. Comparing today's PE10 of the market to its long-term median valuation level, makes the assumption that the level the S&P traded at on average in the past is fair today. If the index composition along some risk dimension one cares about, such as country or sector weights, changed over time, history may not be a relevant anchor. Well, that's how the argument goes. For any investor such as GMO who has considered the fair value of something like the emerging markets, These issues are familiar and part of the assessment process, given the dramatic changes the MSCI Emerging Markets Index has seen in its country and sector membership over the last few decades. We asked ourselves what the long-term fair value multiple of the S&P 500 would look like if we accounted for the shift in sector weights. This is also captured in the chart by applying long-term median sector valuations to the shifting weights in the index. As the S&P 500 has rotated in and out of lower and higher multiple sectors based on long-term sector median multiples, the fair value line has shifted between 17.6 times and 20.6 times, PE10. At September 30th, 2017, the dynamic fair value multiple of 19.6 times accounts for the S&P 500's larger concentration in IT and lower weights in financials and energy relative to a decade earlier. Incorporating dynamic sector weights acknowledges that some of today's higher valuation is due to the shift in market structure, but it's hardly enough to call the S&P 500 fairly valued. On a dynamic sector basis, the S&P 500 is still a lofty 39% overvalued. While the sector composition of the S&P has migrated to higher multiple sectors, like IT and healthcare as well, that shift does not render historical multiples useless or relative valuations justified. If the sector shift to IT accounts for only some of today's expensiveness, well, then what gives? Quite simply, pretty much every other sector, except energy, is trading expensively relative to its median valuation going back to 1970. We show that in Exhibit 3. 
Yeah. More of the S&P 500 is in the IT sector, which is relatively expensive versus other sectors historically and to itself today. But with every other sector trading at a PE 10 far above long-term sector medians, it's easy to see why the overall market is overheated. The financials, utility, and consumer discretionary sectors are particularly expensive relative to their own history, trading at premiums of 95%, 80%, and 58% respectively. We ought to be careful, however, reading too much into the valuations of financials as the sector's 10-year trailing earnings are still materially affected by post-GFC write-offs. Interestingly, the three sectors that don't look particularly expensive, consumer staples, healthcare, and information technology have historically been growth sectors. Growth prospects for consumer staples in healthcare today are far from obvious to us and might not justify valuations normal by historical standards. PE10 multiples tell only part of the story. While Exhibit 3 makes it clear that S&P sectors are trading expensively relative to the long-term medians, it is true that on a Z-score or a standard deviation basis, current levels are not too extreme. Few sectors, as the display on the left of Exhibit 4 indicates, are trading above one standard deviation expensive. This chart shows a a ranking of PE10 Z-scores with energy and infotech at the bottom and financials and utilities up at the top. Z-scores don't look that extreme in large part because both means, averages, and especially standard deviations of the distributions were pulled up by the internet bubble. The right side of the display, however, makes it clear that on a percentile basis, today's current PE10s are among the most expensive we've seen dating back to the 1970s. Here, you would see staples and energies anchoring at the bottom just over the 50th percentile, while up at the top, utilities, consumer discretionaries are up in the uh, 90th percentile. PE10s, however, are just one way to view evaluations. PE10 multiples happen to be one of the more friendly valuation metrics that we look at, courtesy of the high earnings that we've seen over the last decade. When viewed through a sales lens, i.e. price to sales, today's valuations look even more disturbing. The S&P 500's current 2.1 times price to sales ratio is 117% overvalued relative to its long-term median and trading just under the peak valuation it reached in March of 2000. See Exhibit 5. Though the dynamic sector approach applied to price sales multiples suggests that the S&P warrants a modestly higher price to sales multiple due to sector shifts, the S&P would still be 103% overvalued on this measure. In fairness, though, many of today's larger cap IT companies should trade at higher than historical price to sales multiples, given their cost structures are significantly more attractive, less traditional cost of goods, higher gross margins than, quote, old school technology companies and the broader market. Quite simply, more of a dollar of revenue for these less asset intensive companies drops down to gross profit and ultimately earnings, the metric that drives equity valuations in the long run. 
So while these companies typically have higher than market price to sales multiples, look quite expensive and pull up the overall market multiple, they don't look as stretched on a price to gross profits basis, which considers revenues obviously net of cost of goods. When we look at price to uh, at the price to gross profit multiple, the S&P looks only 64% overvalued, adjusting for sector composition versus 75% without sector adjustments. However you look at it, with valuation discrepancies this high, it's still fair to say that the S&P is significantly overvalued even after adjusting for sector shifts. Does EFA deserve to trade at a lower multiple given its lower weight in IT? Just as some investors are questioning whether today's S&P is analogous to yesterday's, Others are asking if comparing the U.S. to other developed markets is appropriate given the vastly different sector exposures in each geography. Developed ex-U.S. markets, as measured by the MSCI EFA index, do look quite different than the U.S., measured by the S&P, based on sector weights. At the end of September 2017, 27% of the EFA index was in energy, materials, and industrial companies, while the S&P had only 19% exposure to these lower multiple cyclical sectors. On the other hand, IT and healthcare made up a measly 17% of the EFA index, while they account for a whopping 38% of the S&P. Now, surely these are disparate assets that should be valued differently. Well, not so fast. As Exhibit 7 illustrates, there's a wide gap today between the PE10 multiple for the S&P 500 and the MSCI EFA index at 27.3 and 20.7 times respectively. Now, we would generally expect equities in the U.S. and developed ex-U.S. markets to be priced to deliver similar returns on capital and thus be priced at similar P.E. 10 ratios. The chart also plots a line showing the MSCI EFA sector weights layered on top of S&P sector valuations. Said another way, what we did here is we said, what if you applied EFA weights through time, going back, starting in the 1970s, and used S&P valuations, but with those lower weights that we saw earlier to the higher multiple sectors in the EFA index. Under that approach, the PE10 multiple for the S&P falls to 26.1 times, given the lower weights and the more expensive IT and healthcare sectors being applied. However, even after neutralizing the S&P 500 index for sector differences, the index is still trading at a significant 26% premium to the MSCI EFA index. The S&P 500's premium, even ad after adjusting for sector differences to the MSCI EFA, is easily explained by looking at the relative valuation levels of the two markets. In Exhibit 8, we show PE10s by sector for the S&P and the EFA index side by side. In eight of the 10 cases, EFA sectors are trading at modest to significant discounts to the S&P 500. Only the IT sector, which has a very small sample set outside the U.S., is trading much above the U.S., 
a sector that the EFA index is meaningfully underweight relative to the S&P 500. Conclusion. Significant sector differences exist across markets and within the same market over time. As economies and markets continue to evolve, so too will shifts in sector composition. Importantly, though, broad equity markets that bear similar levels of risk should deliver similar levels of return and thus be priced in line with each other. Today's higher S&P 500 weight in the relatively expensive information technology sector is cause for some of its expensiveness, both versus history and versus other developed markets, but it doesn't explain away the bulk of its high absolute and relative valuation level. No matter how you cut it, the S&P, and most other markets for that matter, is expensive. About Anna Chetakina and Rick Friedman. Anna Chetakina is a member of GMO's asset allocation team. Prior to joining GMO in 2011, Ms. Chetakina was a fixed income quantitative analyst for Wellington Management. Previously, she was a research associate for State Street Associates, LLC. Ms. Chetakina earned her BS in economics from Verona's State University in Russia, her BA in mathematics and economics from Huntington College, and her MS in applied mathematics from Northeastern University. She is a CFA charter holder. Rick Friedman is a member of GMO's asset allocation team. Prior to joining GMO in 2013, he was a senior vice president at Alliance Bernstein. Previously, he was a partner at Aeropath Venture Capital and a principal at Technology Crossover Ventures. Mr. Friedman earned his BS in economics from the University of Pennsylvania and his MBA from Harvard Business School. Disclaimer, the views expressed are the views of Anna Chetakina and Rick Friedman through the period ending October 2017 and are subject to change at any time based on market and other conditions. This is not an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security and should not be construed as such. References to specific securities and issuers are for illustrative purposes only and not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such security. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights.